Hey guys, this is And The Writer Is, and I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special events, or buy some of our merchandise, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Oh, and if you enjoy this podcast, please rate us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. We really appreciate that effort. This week, we are featuring five country music hitmakers in honor of the 51st annual CMA Awards. Hope you had a chance to see Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood host the 51st annual CMA Awards this week on ABC with collaborations by Kelsey Ballerini and Reba McIntyre, Brad Paisley and Kane Brown, Maren Morris and Niall Horn, and Pink doing Barbies. It was country's night to shine with unforgettable performances and the best of the best honored in several categories. You can check out the winners and highlights at cmaawards.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Today's guest is our final guest of CMA Week. We really appreciate all of you guys for listening. This one is Zach Crowell, a Nashville native who listens to all kinds of music. I mean, that's why you get artists like Sam Hunt. He has worked with Sam since the very beginning, and they have managed to break down all kinds of barriers for country music. Uh, Zach is a friend of mine, and he was super hospitable from the very beginning, and this trip to Nashville was made partly because he hit me up and said, hey, why don't you do a trip to Nashville? So I'm excited to have Zach on. He signed to yesterday's uh, guest, Ashley Gorley. So it's all in the family here at And The Writer Is... This one is featuring Zach Crowell. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. This week's writer has written and produced a slew of number one country records. But not your typical ones. He has written the kind that sit in the top ten on overall iTunes chart for like four months. In a genre that rarely sits amongst the Justin Bieber's of the pop world, this writer bends the rules of what's country and what's pop. From Nashville, Tennessee, this gentleman has worked his way up from day jobs to Grammys. And the writer is the humblest of masterminds, Zach Crowell. Welcome. Wow. It's funny, I was listening to that going, I did all that? That's crazy, but it, it it is pretty crazy <laughs> when you think about the uh, um, you know when we're all we're all in this together. We're all writing songs in different cities and all that stuff. And 
it's nice in an era where there aren't aisles in stores that you can look in the top 10 of iTunes and you can see Sam Hunt along with, you know, yep. DJ Khaled. And one of my favorite things is when I see people comment somewhere or something on the internet and say, I never listened to country music until I heard Sam Hunt. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Like, I, I just, it's uh, all the hate that he gets. It's nice to kind of have the other side of people who are being exposed to a whole new. Well, even your first cut, your first cut's a Grammy winning. Yeah, song, that was right? a weird. Yeah, that was a weird. And, and it's R and B. Yeah, that was a and weird it's backwards. It's, it's yeah, not thing. country. No, no. So no, no. your background isn't really country anyway. Absolutely, it it it, it uh, it would be country because I'm born and raised in Nashville and I've been around country music my whole life. But I never, I never thought. It sounds so dumb to say. I never thought to pursue country music in any sort of way. I'm a 90s kid. I grew up on 90s right. hip-hop and R&B. And being in the South, it was all cash money and no limit and right. suave house and all the anything Manny Fresh ever did. Uh, my goal is still to meet Manny Fresh. and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, But it's funny because I spent 15 years pursuing urban pop music. And, and When you say you're pursuing it, that means that you're sitting in your house... Just making beats and writing songs and writing hooks. And, you know, I mean, it starts off from day one buying a MPC and, and wanting to be Manny Fresh or Dr. Dre or Pharrell or whoever was doing it. And Did uh, you think about moving to Atlanta, I ne- Miami, I never did. LA? I never did, and I've realized God's master plan. Like, it made sense that Nashville, you can do it all from Nashville. You just can't fully commit to it, but, like, you can officially do it. You know, there there's a hip-hop scene and there was a underground, you know, rap scene that, that you know, was bubbling and still is. And uh, so I was just kind of in that scene for the longest time and uh, learning how to produce and play and write and interact. And, and uh, so, you know, the quick story is I did all that for 15 years. And well, let's start from the beginning so it's not such a quick story. You're born mm-hmm. in Nashville mm-hmm. and your parents are musicians, are they not? Are no, they like are, My you, dad is a music, my dad is a musician. He was he's in still a band to this day that he's been in since high school. No way, yeah, what's it called? The Exotics. They yeah. still like play gigs in town and like sell out things and Do you and, go to uh, them? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean they play once every month or two or so and uh uh but they, you know, sell out stuff. Is but they covers play covers, or is covers all... and stuff. I think they did original stuff way back in the day. But now they just, you know, they play, you know, retirement things and high school things. And uh, did you grow up going to these gigs? Yeah, not like every day, but two or three times a year. My dad was always, but there were always instruments. Here's the funny thing: there were always instruments around my house, guitars and bass stuff. And my dad sings, but I never played them. I never thought to play them. I was always playing sports. I never thought to pick up a guitar when I'm 12, just sitting around the house. There was always one, but I never did. And Did you know how to play it and you just weren't into it? No, I, mm-hmm. I never had an interest. But I was a music kid and I loved, I was a music nut. And I was the group, I was the kid in his group of friends in high school who was the music, I was the DJ of the friends, you know? Like I was, I made mixtapes for my friends and and uh, I was the guy at the party who was at the stereo, just, you know, And I was at that this guy. point you're playing, this is, no, there's no, there's no, I mean, not playing, but I mean, at this point you're, the music you're into, none of it's country. Uh, or it's mixed in there it's with mixed, the, but But it's rooted in hip hop though. Uh, it was, you know. Who introduced it, you to hip hop? I was always attracted to, that kind of music I have not I mean from like I have a memory of of uh whenever Will Smith's summertime came out, I have a memory of laying mm-hmm. on my living room floor writing it out on my Christmas list that I want the single for summertime. 
which is still a smash hit song to this day. It's yeah. better than all this. But uh, so, I mean, when, that would, I would have probably been like 10 or something. And right. uh, then did, I. Did you your know. parents get it? When you were like, oh, I like hip hop. And yeah. they like, uh, yeah, not here. they didn't. I really don't think they knew much about it. Like they, uh, you know, I don't know. My, I don't know. They never gave me a hard time about it. I specifically remember, like, this was, I feel, a pivotal point in my life. I remember in sixth grade, like the audio tech class, mm-hmm. it was GM tech. I remember dubbing The Chronic <laughs> from Nick Doral. Uh, he let me dub The Chronic, and I remember going home and listening to The Chronic on my couch, and I heard my dad coming down the hall, and I'm like taking my headphones off and putting my cassette player, tape player, under the... That, that was a pretty raw album, you know, and... Uh, but that that record killed me. I mean, I feel it affect probably affected every single one of us. Yeah. You know, and uh, I recorded in that that room this week. Which the room that they did? Well, actually, I was recording with Mike Elizondo, and it was crazy. the original like Death Row room. So shout out to Mike. But yeah, it's crazy to be in that room and be like, oh man, the energy yeah. of like, like that's one I wouldn't like. Still to this day, when I go to L.A. and I drive and I see names of streets or you drive past something and you see Compton or you see whatever. Yeah. I get excited. Like, <laughs> to like, yeah. These are, I'm sure, like hoods and like awful places that, that uh, you know, some, you know, crazy things go down that, that I, you know, but I like smile as if it's like a museum or like a historic place. But yeah, man, so I, you know, <clears throat> it was, it so was when did you go? When did you go from dubbing records to trying to make your own? I graduated high school and... <clears throat> I want to say I, I made my first beat in high school, my senior year at a friend's dad's house. I still have it. Is it good? No, it's hysterically bad. Like it's, but it has like all the, the from the keyboard, it has like the applause sound and like ocean sounds. And uh, you know, like yeah. those sounds that come on those little things. And, uh, but did you name the beat? No. Yeah. Did you ever show anybody? No, I would show it right now. It's hysterical. Uh, maybe I could send it to you if you want to, whatever. Uh, no, you definitely <laughs> should send it to it's, us. But, it's, but you hear it, you go, it's a kid who has no clue about music trying to make but music. In retrospect, do you look at it and think that maybe you knew more than you thought? Probably. There's, like, I've realized now as an, as, a, as an adult, and I'm not the singer, I'm not the player, I'm not the the musical genius in the room, I realize I'm the guy who is looking for candy, who's always looking for catchy things. And uh, I've realized that's my, that's my best role in the room. So it's, it's, not, it's not to be the poet in the room. It's not to be the vocalist. It's the guy who's just waiting, who's just constantly listening for catchy things. Because if I boil all the music I've ever listened to down, it's rooted in catchy. The, the, the catchy parts are the parts that I like. Right. And, uh, uh, and I've, you know, now over the past few years, just learned to embrace that. I'm like, there are plenty of good musicians who can play better than me. I'll hire them to do it. And there's plenty of good singers and there's plenty of whatever. But I've realized everything back to Will Smith's summertime, like there's little, the part where he says two miles an hour. So everybody sees you. That's yeah. a catchy little hook and yeah. how he did it. And it's those little catchy moments because it's it's not about the lyric; it's about the I don't know, but it's, it's like the it's, feeling and the vibe, the and feeling and the vibe, and it's like it's so a that's real what a, talent. Because there's mm-hmm. 
it's more people in Nashville co-write naturally. I feel like yes. people don't look down on co-writing, and no. somehow yeah, in the embraced. pop world, people tend to look at it as like, oh, well, they didn't write all their own music, and oh, wow. which is very strange because yeah. that's not really how it's ever worked. Yeah, but in in the co-writing community, everyone really has something of a defined role, even if everyone can do everything. Yeah, it's still re- being honest with themselves enough to say. All right, well, I'm probably the melody guy in this room. There are some rooms where I don't tend to write a lot of the lyrics, and there are some rooms where I write all the lyrics, and there are some times where I do both. To me, it makes perfect sense. On a basketball team, you want a real tall guy, a short, quick guy, and a medium guy. Like, you have a team. Like, it's, uh, you know, it makes perfect sense. And Nashville embraces that. I love that. in, In a good way. And it's, George Strait's had like a gajillion hits and hadn't written any of them. It's like, so Nashville embraces songwriters and it's like, it's built, it's literally built on songwriters. Sure. Which is, you know, amazing. Speaking of built on songwriters, okay, so here's some six degrees of separation for us. Your cousin is Will Hogue. Correct. Will Hogue was on tour and his, his pedal steel player is a guy named Adam Ollendorf. Yes. Adam Ollendorf taught me how to play guitar because we lived on the same street when I was nine oh, shoot. through my childhood. Because of that, my in they were on tour with um uh with Sugarland yep. when Will was on tour with Sugarland and I just met my then girlfriend now wife and she loves country. And I liked country. My dad loves country. But again, like I liked it. I didn't understand it yet. I hadn't had any cuts yet. I, yeah. I, I was trying to learn how to do it. But I was, Adam was in town with Will. And so I said, he said, why don't you come to the Greek in LA? So I came to the Greek and I brought my <laughs> wife. Now, and it was our first date. Was was going to see your cousin play at the Greek? That's amazing. Yeah, and she we walked in. She got me like a cowboy hat, and I wore a cowboy hat because I was like, I'm going. And she she thought it was just going to be another Hollywood guy. Instead, I'm like, no, 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 I'm you not put on cool. a cowboy hat. Put on a cowboy hat. <laughs> I like. I went into this thing. We went backstage and met Will, that's and amazing. obviously. I've hung out with him since, but that's actually our six degrees of separation happens long before you and I ever. When was together. that? That was probably had to be, you know, 2010, 2011, uh, something like that. 2010. Adam Ollendorf, he used to play on a bunch of demos for me, and still to this day, I'll use him on a random thing or you, you know his whatever. But uh, well, that, the first country hit I had was a song called "See You Tonight" by Scotty McCreary that Adam played on the. He played all the parts on the demo, all the steel and all the guitar, or whatever. Uh, like the very first country hit I had, he played on that, and, and uh, that's amazing. Well, so to go to that, because I figured that was a good transition. That's because great. to be honest, that's really like, you know, you really start breaking into the country world around 2012. Yes, probably around when we met. Yep. And at the time, you got the new theme song to. Chevy, Chevy? yeah, and it was, um, and it was a song called "Strong" that you wrote with Ashley Gorley, Mm -hmm. and that you and Will Hogue sang it, and that becomes like a a new. Was it was in a way was that your first? That was the first like real like legitimate. That was the first money I ever made from a song separate of a draw. Necessarily, it was the first like oh. 
you actually got a sink and like here's some you know uh, here's some real adult yeah money like here's you know like yeah. yeah so that's that was insane how that happened I don't I don't know if you've ever done those kind of commercial pitches jingle pitches I guess and uh, I would that was kind of a there was like a year when I was at my publisher Warner Chapel and I was doing these random. There's a guy who runs that department called Frank Domeno. You know, you know Frank? Name Frank? Uh, you know, he's uh, a New York guy, but he does like yeah. kind of all the sync stuff. And uh, he, uh, I met him. I was in New York. I met him, and he hit you know sent me little things of try to write a song for a McDonald's commercial or Kmart right. or Gap or whatever. And I did all these ones, and you know, you know, I'm just you know trying anything, and I got real close on a couple ones, and I didn't get them. But the Chevy thing came along, and the whole town kind of attempted it like it was they hey wanted this kind of song for this kind of thing and i wrote three songs for that pitch you had like a week to do it and i wrote three songs and and uh that one you know just kind of the thing is once you get those moments too and you kind of feel like oh well i can i can repeat this or i can or at least you feel like it's attainable enough to be uh, cuz in a way getting a big license like a Chevy commercial that becomes yeah. the theme song of a, a big car deal. company it gave me a lot of confidence it absolutely yeah, gave right, me exactly. it yeah right exactly i look at it as remember the first time i kissed a girl I, you go oh I can do that. I, I, I can. Yeah. It's not that scary. Like, right. I, like I have more confidence. Let me try that again, kind of thing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So it's like, so I remember getting the Chevy thing. I remember kind of going, all right, now I'm here. And, you know, and also that was at the very, you know, I was about to be dropped. I was like a month away from being, if you want to get into my uh, like last second buzzer beater of a, of, of, of how did you know my, you were going to get dropped? So okay, I signed a deal in 2010 with Warner Chapel and Combustion Music and uh, Ashley Gorley Tape Room is a whole big, whole big partnership. And uh, I was kind of signed as a pop, urban guy because you had the Lecrae. Because I had well, no, at that point that hadn't happened yet. Right. Uh, I was because I, I was in town and I had met Ashley and you know he's a big successful country writer and he was but he was just starting to, to become that big writer. He was still early on for him and. I was the first person he ever signed, but I was kind of signed with the the intention of, hey, I'll make a bunch of stuff, then he and I'll go to L. He and I'll go to L. A. and we'll try to get in some rooms in L. A. And uh, I did it for a year or two, and just, I mean, in hindsight, it's hard for me, a guy here in L. A., to beat at the time, Luke and Max, and I like, am I, I going to beat them? Like, you know what I mean? It's it's really hard. So I'd go out there and I would do. LA trips once a month and I'd go for a week or so and, and I'd write with any and everyone I could and I'd be writing hooks and sending them to Ashley. But the and he, goal he's for trying, you at the time was to be successful in, in pop music. Yeah, then. yeah. It, it was totally to be so you to weren't be even music. aiming for country. One aiming for so. country. So the year, you know, first year goes by and then typical Nashville publishing deal. I get picked up from, from a next one, from a next year. And uh, at the end of that year, you know, at that point, the publishers paid you some money and if there's been no money coming in, they can't just keep paying you forever. You know, it's an investment, it's business, I get it. And uh, uh, they don't want to pick up my third year option, but they don't want to drop me. So they decide to do a six month extension of my second year. And they're oh, like, hey, wow. let's just try six more months before, the, let's just, let's bet on six more months. So six more months go by, nothing happens, you know, and I'm, you know, still just plugging along. At that point, my wife's pregnant. We're married as our first kid. You know, it's the only time in my life I've ever considered quitting. And it wasn't considered quitting. I was just gonna, I was like, I might just have to do something else. Like, you know, if I'm gonna get dropped, I, you know, I got, you know. So, what would you have done? I don't know. Like, I have no idea. Like, praise Jesus that I didn't have to. Like, it was so, so I signed a second six month extension 
and it ends December 31st, 2012 or something like that. Yeah. 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 Oh, 2012, right. Uh, yeah. December 31st, and I met Sam Hunt in October, and we wrote Cop Car two weeks later, and it from at that point, it all... But Cop Car hadn't even come out yet, so... Cop you, Car, it took about a year, but we wrote when we wrote that song, if we want to jump to that song, when we wrote that song, it was instantly a big deal around town. I've realized now, after being around for a few years, that songs like that don't come along very often. Like, we wrote it, and the whole town kind of got a, a little bit of a frenzy about it. It was just, it was a, a good song, you know? Yeah, and people just want And it, it. was three, yeah. Sam was a nobody, I was a nobody, Matt Jenkins, the other writer, was a, was a nobody. We're all just new dudes, and it's kind of, there was a little bit of, who are these guys, and how do they write? How do they write a good song, you know, kind of thing? And, and uh, it opened a lot of doors, and that's that song specifically. And you know, How did you write that song? Typical day. I, I met Sam about a week before. He and I wrote our first song together, and then like a week later, me, him, and Matt Jenkins, just a typical Nashville thing. He, he wasn't trying to do the artist thing. Though, he didn't time, right? know yet. Yeah. Um, it did was, you know it at that time? Or you no, know, oh, no. Wow, it, at that point, artist. he and I had clicked, um, and... and uh, the first time I met him, we sat there and talked for hours. And I was like, are you trying to do the artist thing? And he's like, I, you know, he wasn't sure. Like songwriting is his first love. He, he, you know, he's a songwriter at heart and, you know, strip it all away. He's, 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 a, he's a songwriter. And, and uh, so he didn't quite know because there's just, I mean, there's a commitment to being an artist. Like it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a decision, you know? And, and uh, so he didn't quite know, but he started to accumulate these songs that, I feel that only he could do. You know, he, he you know he has a song called "Take Your Time" that was a you know a big hit for him. That never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I wish I wrote yeah. it. I should sue him. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, he, uh, but he started to have these songs and like they were so him. You know, and like he couldn't imagine anyone else doing them. You know, so it just he was like, you know, and at the end of the day, Sam's real competitive. He's like all those people. He's he, he's trying to win and and. uh so when you guys you guys start writing and you have cop car mm-hmm. and there's this frenzy, when did Keith Urban hear it and was Keith, that sort of like a giant shock? Was there when you heard that he wanted to cut it? Were you? Out I'll tell you a story. It's a good story. Uh, yeah, it's a good. So we wrote it. We wrote cop car, and at the same time that year earlier, I'd been writing songs a lot with Jerry Flowers, uh, Keith Urban's bass player. I've been writing a bunch of songs and Keith or. Jerry would always play these songs that we'd written with to Keith. And uh, coincidentally, at the, in, that same time, Keith and Jerry hired me to come out to LA and program, help program stuff for Keith's tour, program tracks and, and uh, just help beef up some of the music for his tour, which was a great opportunity for me. You know, I'm still at the time dead broke and got nothing going on. I, you know, and Keith, you get a call from Keith Urban. Hey, we come out and yes. help me arrange my tour. <laughs> yes. Doesn't and, uh, matter what the thing is after They're that. asking me Will what my, yes. they were asking so. me what my day rate was. And I'm like, I have no, I don't even know what that means. Uh, Ten yeah. million yeah. dollars. I can't remember. What, but either way, it was a, it was a, it was awesome. So, it was like in a month, we were, I was going to go out to LA and, and do a week out there. And in that time, he heard Cop Car. I threw, I th- I'm pretty sure my publisher, uh, Chris Farron at Combustion Music, I'm 99% sure he sent it to him. And uh, But Keith didn't know that I wrote it. He didn't know that the guy whose tracks he was liking, the guy who was hiring to come out there, he didn't realize that it was the same guy. Uh, he just loved this song, Cop Car, and he also loved these other guys' sounds. Somewhere in that 
month of us coming out there, he put it together. I don't know if Jerry told him or whatever, but the first day of rehearsals, I'm in LA at SIR or whatever room and I'm, you know, just sitting there with my laptop and I'm just trying to be one of the cool kids because I've never been, still not, but still uh, never been in the, you know, room with super talented people and Keith walks in and he comes up to me and introduces himself and gives me a big hug and gives me this look and says, he says, me and you need to get in the studio sometime, my friend. And like, I had heard that he had heard Cop Car, but I can't be the... It took everything in my power not to go like, Keith, you know, yeah. do you like my song, man? You know, I'm just trying to be cool. I'm like consciously saying, play it cool in my head. Very professional. Yeah, it was, yeah. but I'm like freaking out. And the uh, uh, first day, he didn't say anything. That night, my publishers are calling me. They're like, did he say anything about the song? Did he say anything? I'm like, no, he didn't say anything. I'm just going to play it cool, keep playing it cool. And the next day, Keith, I swear he did it to me on purpose. Uh, he knew he was going to give me a memory. Like, I swear he like, so I'm sitting there the next day with my laptop, my drum machine program, whatever I'm doing. And that guy, and I'm so glad he did, he walks over to me with a guitar. We've never talked about the song before. Sits down next to me and starts singing me the song. He goes, we drove right past that no train. I'm sitting there like, I'm like, that's, I'm like, this dude's singing my song to me, you know? And this he dude. knows what he's doing. He totally knows what he's yeah. doing. And, uh, but he's, and I'm totally fine with it, you know? So he sings literally the first verse and chorus and it ends and I remember going, man, that's, I don't, like, what do you say? Like, like right. what do you say? You, you, know? you like turn the other way and sniffle a little bit <laughs> exactly. and like wipe the tears from your eyes and then turn back being like... <laughs> exactly. I didn't know what to do. And I, I just yeah. remember, I don't know what I said, but I'm sure it was like, man, that's great. Good job. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you say. You know, because I mean, I'm dead broke, wife's pregnant, about to lose my publishing deal. Like, I mean, it's like, and like, in hindsight, it's like, it's a buzzer beater. It's the last second, you know, wrote this great song right at the very end. And then he, we talk and two days later, we're at some studio out in LA cutting the vocal to it. I'm like, like literally changing my life. Sure. And uh, uh, he let me produce it, which was insane. In hindsight, he let just a no-name dude produce. Luckily, the demo was real close. So that it wasn't that far to go and he could kind of hold my hand along the way if I happened to totally take it off course. And, and uh but he sang it out there and, you know, it was a, it was like, I'm going to say the third single off of his record. I started to get a little nervous, you know, because I'm like, oh, this is about to be first single off a of record, and, you know, and it's not. And then the next single and it's not. And I'm kind of like, oh, shoot, man. Is this like, is the best song I've ever written just going to be a cut? You know, because you, you're trying to get on the radio. And, yeah. and uh, luckily it was. And, I'm you still know. waiting for Shame to come out. He's going to go back two records. That was my only, <laughs> that was my only Keith Irving cut. Yeah, and I was just so, hoping that I was, when Cop Car came out, I was like, good, keep going. Because if it's a, if there's a hit, then maybe they'll keep following it up. Yeah, you but want them to be hits. Once yeah. you're past like the fifth single, <laughs> you're kind of like, But then like, he did, an, then he did Somewhere in My Car, another car song. Yeah, right, I know. Which right. I'm sure you're sitting there going, there's no way he's going to put that one out. Totally. You're not putting out two car songs. Well, plus like, well, this is what's interesting about Keith is that he knows more about pop music than any pop writer I know. He's extremely sharp. Like he knows he he'll tell you about playlists that are current within the minute. I mean, he shows up and he knows <laughs> what's going on wow. on Spotify right now. What is cool? He knows all. He that. loves so music more than anybody. Yeah, so he's a music he's, nerd. He doesn't care about country or pop. And that's what's kind of interesting about you know. Obviously, you're the same way. It's like you're trying to. You're just writing your music that's mm-hmm. so clearly deeply rooted in not just it's not like Merle Haggard country sure. as the kind of music that you grew up on. It was like you you were into 
to Dr. Dre meets yeah. country. See, I, I, I could tell you, I don't know anything about Merle Haggard or Johnny Cash. I don't know any, you know, it's just not, I don't know anything about the Beatles either. It's like, it's no disrespect to Merle Haggard. I don't know anything about the Beatles. I don't know anything about Prince, but I know a lot about Dr. Dre and I know a lot about E-40 and all of these guys. Like, uh, you know, just certain th- things just didn't cross my path. And, uh, but I'm, you know, a 90s kid and I was in Nashville. So 90s country is, in me, which that's a, a huge era of country music. And, and, and uh, back to that, I feel the divine plan. I never moved to LA. I never moved to Atlanta or New York. When I had this pop training, urban training, and then all of a sudden I start to write country music, it sounds like cop car. And it sounds, you know, like it, it's only natural that it's slightly urban leaning and slightly pop leaning, sure. but it's, it's a, uh, it was the it was the perfect timing, you know, uh, of the genre kind of collided with urban music right at the time I was getting going in it. Nashville really embraced me. The songwriting community really embraced me because I had spent fifteen years making. You earned it. Yeah, you, like you, I, you I were trained, at least showing that you were. Yeah, you were so when I get in big it. rooms real quick. Yeah. yeah, like I was a new guy in Nashville. I was a freshman, but I had kind of the the chops of a senior kind of thing. And, and I started getting big rooms and I, I was real quick. I was real proficient and I was, mixes were good and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, well, I mean, obviously you start getting these, I mean, you go from, I'm about to get cut. Oh, I'm going to write a number one cop car kind of record. But then all of a sudden you have Dirks and Jake Owen and you have, you know, Scotty McCreary. And it seems like it's becoming, natural for you to start writing at least major label big mm-hmm. name cuts yeah. and getting used to it were you used to it by the time you start cuz you had a number of the Dustin Lynch records mm-hmm. you know did cop car open the door for Dustin Lynch or was that even before did, were you starting to work on that before cop car came out cuz all of a sudden you start getting uh, you start getting hits on cop a regular car, i would basis. say is the specific kind of pivotal song that it was a, it was a songwriter song. Uh-huh. Every writer in town was, I say every writer, a lot of writers in town were really excited about that song. So it got me in a lot of rooms. So then I had the opportunity to write with a bunch of people. And now at that point, it's on me to do my job and write good songs with right. those people. Right. And at that point, it, you know, it just kept going. And, and you know, so far it's Yeah, and also good. your bar gets raised. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once you start having, oh, if, if I have to put in this kind of effort to get one, then I need to put in this kind yep. of effort on all of them. Like I remember, and it starts to get really exhausting because you can't just walk into a room anymore and be like, "Oh, let's write a song," and then you leave for the day. Instead, it's like you walk in, you're thinking, "Man, this better beat every other song this artist has written so far for this album." Every yep. other song that everyone else is writing in this entire town, and maybe even other towns. It's trying it's, to. It's get all of a sudden it got, it got real hard. Yeah, like. Yeah. But I remember when writing Cop Car. I remember having a feeling when we were writing it, a feeling that I never felt before. Like I knew it was good. Like I was conv- like even that day, as a dead broke, no name dude, I was aware that hey, this is real. Like it got real good all of a sudden. Yeah. So now I kind of it's like I know what the drug felt like, and now I'm kind of aware of that because. You've been in it long enough to where you know when something's pretty bad, and sure. like so you know when to kill certain things. You go, this isn't any good. We should just throw this away. And uh, 
the painful part is you know when something's okay. Yeah. But you're in it and you kind of like got to finish it. You know, those get painful, uh, you know. And, but I know uh, a lot of people who are really good at just stopping it. And it's and it's like it's heartbreaking, but yeah. then maybe you have a shot at writing another song. I yeah, I can it's, I can stop it sometimes, but I I I anytime I've done it, I've done it in like rude ways, and like there's like an art to doing that of kind of going, hey, this isn't any good, right? And we should throw this in the trash. Right, like, we all we all recognize it's hard. This like isn't it takes good, right? a certain. I, I get <laughs> there are a lot of times where I want to say that, but I just don't have the courage to. Like it, it's a uh, it's uh, some people do, and I love it when they do. You know. Uh, <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. <laughs> so you go, the Dustin Lynch records, you know, where it's at, mm-hmm. Hell of a Night, these are number one mm-hmm. songs. And I don't know exactly the order of what happens in 2014 because it seems like they're just all come out at the same time. Yeah, it was it, a good it, year. It, you, yeah, it was a good year for <laughs> it was sure. A good year. And that's also when the when Sam Hunt really you know yeah. breaks. Yeah. So you're on one hand working as a songwriter and a producer, and then you start working as like because you and Sam have such synergy. Mm-hmm. At this point, you start working as in a weird sort of way as an A and R guy because when Absolutely. your main co writer is starting to become an artist. You then become the guy encouraging that person in a different way than a normal co-writing relationship. Yeah. It's weird. Sam is, you know, the biggest thing that that has ever happened to me personally because I wrote Cop Car with him, and his artist thing is is obviously uh, affected my life. And but he he is fabulous at delegating jobs, at getting people to do things, and and putting people. He saw something in me from the day we met and he didn't care if I was super successful or a, a new guy or whatever. He saw that I had some sort of angle in my head that I was able to think and and, and he's embraced it and he, he gives me the freedom to to do things. He listens to me. He doesn't have ego. Um, he, he, he listens to me when I suggest things or, you know, if we're talking about any branding thing or any tour thing or Instagram or uh, a lyric of a thing, he li- he listens to me and, and uh, he still at the end of the day has the the final say, but he's he embraces his but team. How did you start going from you know what? Not, not only I am know. I, I you know in a matter of I'm I'm going to get dropped to 
I've I'm going to now sort of take on a role as um I don't know what the what I guess A and R guy manager almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's like you know Sam early on he and I found a way to incentivize me on the whole thing. Were you did you just walk through that door? Or were you nervous well, I just about kinda, the idea? I just of, kinda started doing it. Yeah, so okay. when I first met him, we were just writing songs. And at that point he he had just had his first hit with Kenny Chesney, a song called Come Over. Um and I can't remember the timeline, but at whatever point he decided to pursue the music, to to pursue a solo career, an artist career, me coming from the underground hip hop world, I was working with him regularly on things and I said, Hey man, we should put out a mixtape. I was like, we should we should record a little mixtape and just give this thing away. This is what I've done for ten years with these underground rappers and singers. I was like, we should just put out a mixtape. And Nashville had never done that before. Nashville's, you know, typically behind the curve on a, a lot of things. And right. uh, uh so he and I made a acoustic mixtape. So crazy. Just at my house, you know, like we we purposely kind of dumbed it down and made it sound rough and raw, made it sound like a thing. And uh, I hosted it on my Dropbox thing. And he just, you know, at that point probably had a few thousand Twitter followers, you know, like, I don't know, you know, hosted it on my Dropbox. And it was one of those things, it kind of just spread, you know? I don't have any numbers of, I've, I've tried multiple times to track down numbers of how, Many times it was downloaded or spread or whatever, but it downloaded so much it crashed crashed my Dropbox thing, and I got contacted by someone there saying, "This is not, you know you can't do whatever you're doing with this service. You can't, you can't, you can't do that's not what this is for." Kind of thing, right. and uh, which was awesome, you know, like yeah. it was totally what you want. And uh, if you get kicked out of using Dropbox, yeah. you're doing something yeah. right. So it was, it, was just, it was just it was spreading, yeah. and at that point he starts to go on the road and develop a touring thing, and then he has you know, tons of fans singing all the songs because it just kind of spread. And uh, so that was early on in that I'm telling him, hey man, we should, we, I'm kind of using the words we, we should go shoot a video. Like we should get a YouTube presence. Like we, so I'm just kind of, he's such a songwriter. He, 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 but he saw that I had ideas and he was, you know, just embracing those things. And, and, you know, we didn't know that it was going to work so well. You know, we're just, you know, just, kind of just chipping away at the thing and uh do you think it out. works well because of the fact that it crosses genres or do you think it works well because it's his voice or is it- I think it's a whole a bunch of them you know I think absolutely crosses genres like it it it, it uh there are a lot of people that were raised on on country music and urban music like like it's my taste I think and his taste are in line with a lot of people you know totally. I think a lot of people love We've talked R. to Kelly. Luke, and you know, you talked to Luke Laird, and we've, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah, exactly. Ashley's he's like coming to Nash or comes to LA a lot to write, and when we're in LA, or mm-hmm. you know, we were just in Vegas writing. It's like, yeah. you know, you a lot of it's okay to to not feel like you have to be. I'm this genre in an yeah. era where there are no real genres. Yeah, it's hard to. It's a little embarrassing even talking about setting boundaries on music. It's a little like. Foolish. It's a little dated right now. It's a little dated. It's like, yeah. really? Are we still doing yeah. that? It's, you know. Um, so you go from, you know, once Sam breaks, he's got 
Take Your Time, Leave mm-hmm. the Night On, House Party, just huge records. Mm-hmm. All this changes. Do you start feeling more stable at this point? Or is there a part of you that's uh, like, oh no, I'm still going to lose this publishing deal? <laughs> like, it, you do you, have a part of that at all times. Like, I'm still like, there are times my publisher will call me and they're like, what you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm working. Like, right. kind of like, I'm, you know. I'm not on the couch. No, no, no. I'm in here. I'm like I'm working. Like as if someone's going to get mad at me for and taking. Kick you out. Yeah, and it's yeah. like you know. But I think that's a good thing. Like I yeah. think that's. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. I think there's part of me always thinks I'm going to be kicked out of town. But you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, the next year you get some more big names. You know, Easton Corbin and Billy Currington. Um, but the big next name is Carrie Underwood. Yeah. How do you meet Carrie Underwood? They, her manager, Ann Edelblut, who's super duper sweet, and they've embraced me. Right after Sam's record came out, they, she emailed, actually called me one day. Yeah, Ann called me and asked me to come in just for a meeting to, you know, want to meet me. And, and uh, so I go in, you know, terrified. And uh, uh, I realized in hindsight, they were trying to figure out who who made that record? Who made that Sam record? You know, like who who was did I do that or did Sam do that? You know, kind of like right. so you know, they were just kind of feeling me out and you know, probably seeing if I was a nice guy and would potentially be easy to work with. And, you know, and and uh you know, I think they're just, you know, doing their due diligence and, and they uh they embraced me and you know, I think right around that time I got to write with Carrie. I wrote with her and Ashley, wrote a song called Heartbeat, which ended up being a hit. That her. sounds really good. Thank you, man. It's it's the best song on that album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of songs yeah. on that album, but that song is pretty. Thank incredible. you, man. That's a yeah, yeah. That was one that when they asked me, Anne called me one day and said, "Hey, would you produce that song, Heartbeat? And would you be okay if Chris Lord Algae mixes it?" These are like yeah. idols. What do you say to that? Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm not gonna. <laughs> like, I remember going, yeah. "Yeah, like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, like." So of course, those are like I remember where I was standing when she asked me that, and it's like, where were you standing? Uh, in my studio. I mean, just there in my studio, but I remember pacing, yeah. you know, as she's, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what, don't know what they're going to ask me. She's like, "Hey, we love that song, Heartbeat, that you wrote with Carrie and Ashley, and we're wondering if you want to produce it, and if it's okay." Chris Lord Algie's mixing this whole record. You know, do you think it would yeah. be fun? You know, and I'm like, what? Right. She could call me and yell at me and like cuss me and telling me to, you know, this is what you're yeah. gonna do, and I would, you know, bow down and say yes, ma'am. And uh, but you know, yeah, it's crazy. Did you run throughout the house when that phone call was done and be like, you know, I can't remember, man. It's a, uh, I mean, it's I'm like, sure, like I'm sure I, you know, freaked out, but it's crazy, man. Like that, I remember I had a goal when I first met them. I was like, oh, I want one song on her record. I was like, you know, a, like a realistic. I, I want, I bet I can get one on her record. I'm gonna try really hard and get that one, and to have you had a handful, have three, and it was three number ones in a row off of her. Like it was, I remember being heartbeat. She sang it. Sam sang background vocals on this on the song. Which was oh, awesome. Oh, that's him singing background. Yeah, that's him. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, that's yeah. That was when I'm doing it, and I called him. I was like, "Hey, I got an idea. What do you think?" Did fans know that? Uh, yeah, fans like it was. Yeah, it's definitely a known thing, but it it wasn't like a marketed thing. It's it's a, it's a little bit cooler when it's not milked to me. It's, sure. it's a little. I mean, bit, otherwise it would have just been featuring. Yeah, you know, and it's just yeah. Sometimes those featuring things just get a little. 
No, but it's so close to being a duet. Mm-hmm. So it's like but it's it, just right. But I remember this is just yeah. one of those life stories of of a. Uh, I was she sang it on the Grammys a year or two ago, and I was there at the Grammys. They let me arrange the music and the whole thing, and I was there at the Grammys, which is just a weird sentence, right? Sitting down the, downstairs with Carrie and Anne, and they looked at me and they said, "You want to tell him?" And they they're like, "Hey." Church Bells, another song I wrote. They go, hey, Church Bells is going to be the next single. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, this would be too, you know. And at that time, Anne looked at me and I don't know if she was doing it on, like if she knew what their next move after Church Bells yeah. was, but she goes, and we really love Dirty Laundry too. And I'm kind of like going, right. what are you saying? You know, kind of like, well, are you it, about to tell, like, you know, I, I, don't I know. didn't mention anything. I was just kind of like, oh, great. But in my head, I'm going like, is that, you know, and they put them all out, which is crazy. In Nashville, there, or at least in in LA, there tends to be a lot of people who have the first single, and mm-hmm. a lot of people who have the next single. Yeah, and everyone has the third single. Yeah, <laughs> even if your song came out already, maybe they'll release it again. I yeah. mean, like the way people talk about songs, it's like, ah, yeah, I got the first single, yeah. and it's like it comes out. And not everybody in town has the first single. Yeah, a lot of people just say that. Um, is that something that's prevalent in Nashville? Do, are there people who walk around? I mean, it seems like everyone's so humble and kind of quiet. Yeah, it's more humble. Stuff. It's more humble and so if somebody quiet. says you have the first single or you have the next single, it's yeah. probably because at that point it's true. It's true. Yeah, like yeah, absolutely. Nashville is way more humble and laid back and honest. And, and Nashville is very paced. It's very organized. It's very you know maybe times to a fault, but like it's a very organized machine of you know where a certain song is they'll probably be coming out with another song here in a month or two and uh but no there aren't a ton of people you know walking around bragging and uh that's probably more of an la thing right so you win the uh you win the triple play yeah crazy uh cma award which means you had three number ones in a year that kind of like uh, solidifies you, you know, when you when you win those kinds of awards, then it's really hard to go back. Yeah, see, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know what that was. I never, my brain had never thought, oh, there's like, there's another award past just a number one award. There's like a triple, I never knew it existed, to be honest. Right. So when they called me- The, the super duper triple yeah, play. Yeah, I never knew that, that you could win the no, Super Bowl. And <laughs> yeah, like I had no idea. I, I, like I'm not, I had no clue. And they called me and told me I got it. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You know, kind of not knowing. And then I won it the next year as well. And the next year I go, oh, shoot, that's hard to do. Like I was, yeah. the next year I was way more aware of, of because uh, that's just, I mean, it's hard to, you know. It's hard to have, it's still hard to have a hit. It's hard to have a hit ever, much less three in a year. Like, I mean, it's it's all impossible. We were uh, we were trying to solve, and it was like our third episode. And I was asking, you know, do you celebrate number fives? Yeah, you know, and it's like it, by the time you can't because you know you don't know when it's going to go to number four, and by the yeah. time it's number six, you don't celebrate it because you yeah. should have celebrated when it was number five. And you know, you you get to a point where people assume that you just write hits. Like mm-hmm. that's that it just it isn't it's the case. Nat- that's just yeah. easy. Like yeah. your family's, even your family and your best friends are like, oh, oh, there's another one. Hey, I like that song. Some people, some people are Did just like, oh, it's just people. Now will, it's just standard. It's like my oh, dad. Yeah, you're my to dad have three means number one songs in a year. <laughs> my dad means super duper well, but like I'll have two songs on the charts. And I'm like, you got anything else? Yeah. Like, I'm like, I've already, you know, right? That's already impossible. 
you know, yeah. like to do. And it's like, no, I know yeah. I don't have anything else. I just have the number one song and then a great song. But no, I don't have anything else. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but you know, yeah. So people start to expect it. I didn't have bit. I didn't have any cuts for a long time. And when the first year I started getting kind of big name cuts, yeah, I had you know. Bieber and Nicki Minaj and Maroon Five, all the same year, and it was five like five number one albums. Songs, even though they were album tracks, it was just like, here's another number one album kind of thing. And I remember saying, <laughs> my parents started viewing it as like, it was not a, a big deal. It's just like, hey guys, I have the number one album again, like yeah. a song, the number one album. This is huge. And um, and it was just like oh cool, and then they just started talking about the botanical gardens. Yeah, and you go. You realize Park, I Illinois climbed Everest five times. And, like and, we should be excited. But about I it. stopped them and started saying to them, I started figuring out. Okay, well this, and it's harder to do now because of streaming. But I was like, okay, well this album sold, you know, two hundred fifty thousand copies worldwide this week. So that's the equivalent of Buffalo. So I'd be like, hey, <laughs> if everybody in Buffalo, New York bought yeah. my song <laughs> tomorrow, that would base or this week, yeah. that would basically be what, what I just achieved. And try to like explain <laughs> yeah. to them in like a practical number of mm-hmm. like imagine I always look this. at it like you see a football stadium. You go, there's eighty thousand yeah, yeah. people. Exactly. You go, how so many, every how many, single person yeah. in here bought it times four. Yeah. You know, or whatever. Yeah. I remember when I had my first number one. Wanting to, it's such a gradual process. Like it's not, it's not an overnight thing. It's literally a decade's worth of 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 chipping away at the whole thing. And I remember as 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 the day I woke up and it's number one. And I remember kind of being like, I should be excited. I should I should be more excited right now. Like you know, because like, but it's just, and well, you know, uh, you know, on a bigger note, it made me realize that to me, making music creating it is still the most fun part and which made me realize in a super sappy way that I had made it for 15 years like some of the most fun music times I ever had was in the bedroom with some of these rappers back in the day just not knowing what we were doing but just thinking we're making the greatest classic records of all you know it was always awesome and it was because I realized that the high of a number one is no higher than the high of making a beat in my apartment off of Edmondson Pike in 2001. Like it's still, it's still at the end of the day that music is just awesome. And and, and uh, as I was just trying to be so excited, I was like, I number one song, I should be super excited right now. And it's like, it's always been exciting. That's the, uh, I always look at it, I'm like, I bet LeBron has more fun playing basketball when he plays a pickup game on the weekend with his friends. I bet it's more fun to him. Like now he loves to be in the championships and be in the finals, but like that point it's real work and it's task and it's like, it's a different game, you know, but I've realized I'm like, it made me appreciate the fun of music that I've had for 15 years. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, how happy is happy? Exactly. You know I mean? There's and no happier than like, yeah, there's not there. We don't have the words to describe if you win a Grammy or you win a number one song, or mm-hmm. you get your song cut on an album at all, or you even release your own album and it's finally out on iTunes and exactly. nobody's even paying attention because you don't have a deal, or you finish a song and you play it in, in a, in, at a coffee shop for 12 people and everybody's like, that was great. Yeah. Like all things considered, it's you're all, still just happy. It's all happy. I remember back in the day, I'd make a beat and it would be like, 
in key for the first time. You know, like I'd be so excited because I played a chord progression or something. And I remember like burning it to a CD and literally listening to it in my car for days, like just on just because I was so excited that I composed this piece of music and like there were like there was like a, an arrangement to it and I was so excited and and that's what I realized like writing hit songs with Sam or Carrie whatever it's the same thing it's it's the exact same high like and you know it's nice to make money and all but it's still at the love of music at the end of the day is right. why we all got into this like I don't know if you got into this for the, the 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 money, but I would assume at the end of the day you just you were a kid in your bedroom who just loved music and and, and yeah. I'm also to chase not, it. I don't know if I'm qualified to do anything else, but exactly. You know, that's what you asked me earlier. What would you do? I go. I don't know. Right. I don't know what I'd do. You know. But I do. I when people say, "Oh, you know, I would do it for free," that's always the thing where I'm like, "Well, that's not a very, really good way to look at it." Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's probably a way. You know if. If you would do it for free, you're going to do it for free. Yeah. If you're going to do it for money, you're going to try and monetize it, which means you're going to be aware of the listener while you write on some level, and you're going to give the audience more credit than yeah. you would if you were doing it for free. If you're doing it for free, you can write about anything yep. and you can do whatever you want in your Dude, room. There's a song I'm working on right now with Sam, and I'm not afraid to say it. We are working on it. We hit a little bit of a, of a wall. And we're like, you know, we should bring our other buddy. We should bring Josh Osborne in on this song. You know, and for a second, we sit here, or for, for a second, for an hour, we sit here and we kind of talk about our egos and stuff. And we're like, ah, then that's like, then he's going to take a little bit of credit. He's going to take a little bit of publishing. You know, we kind of get in ahead of ourselves. And we're like, man, and we, we boiled it down to, we go, man, at the end of the day, if we were dudes working at Home Depot is what we said, and we're working on this song, and we thought that Josh would be great. We would call our buddy Josh from down the street, come work on this song with us, man. Hands down. And we, were like, we were like, screw publishing, screw any sort of credits or whatever. We go, let's call Josh. And we called him, and you know, it's fabulous. I mean, it's the, the missing piece was him, you know, and it's like, but it's, you have to battle your ego a little bit on that. Like, we literally sat here and go, what do you think about that? And it's like, because at the end of the day, I want everyone to think that I'm the, the most talented person in town and it's like and that I'm the reason for all these why I'm just your ego at the end of the day you just like you know and that's why I try to I try to be aware of my ego when, when I you know see those things and try to get ahead of it and and uh there was a, a, there, a, I'm not gonna call him out but one of the best songwriters in the world gave a book to all of the people that he works with that says um ego is the enemy is the book yeah. And that was everybody's Christmas gift this year. <laughs> and, you know, that's great. The greatest of the greatest understand that if you, you can't have an ego in it, because in the end, no, nobody, first of all, legacy is stupid. Second of all, you yeah. know, nobody, nobody's really paying that much attention. Exactly. It's just, and it's way cooler. If you have 2% of a song that is a number one song yeah. and your name's on it, Maybe you'll say to your friends, you know, I didn't do that much yeah. on this. But for the most part, it's fun. You're sharing these moments. Yeah. You know, you're sharing it's, to them me, with it's, your friends. It's a, whatever's best for the song, it is music at the end of the day. Whatever's best mm-hmm. for the song. I always go to Michael Jackson, didn't write Thriller. He wrote a ton of other ones, but he didn't write Thriller. He didn't write Man in the Mirror. Garth Brooks didn't write The Dance. And these dudes wrote fabulous songs 
life changing songs for them. You but know, they didn't write all of them, but they go, yeah. they go. That song is so good. I got to cut that song. Yeah. And and uh, and that's you know, but it's it's you get far up in the music business and you start to have hits on the radio and just other things. You start to look at splits and you start to look at all that that you know. You start to look at you know. How many writers are on the song? Because you started letting the money. It, started letting the money. Started go. letting the money. And that's all I go back to, man. That's what I realized. Oh man, when I was twenty, making beats in my apartment in Antioch, that was awesome. I need to. I need to make music like that. Like you know, and try to keep it like that. And that's what the Sam stuff. It very much is like that. Uh, yeah, it feels like that. It feels like it's fun. It's very much you like know? that. It's it, his stuff is kind of run by me, him, and uh, his manager Brad, who's you know, kind of the other you know link to the whole thing and yeah but it's run you know so right. i mean currently while we're doing this interview you know body like a back road is just everywhere crazy it might be the biggest song that you have right absolutely yeah i mean i've already established that that's the peak for me I doubt I'll ever beat that. Oh yeah, like I'm just maybe just glass half empty, but I'm like that's like no. There's that. It's there's like, that's that about Eat, Pray, Love thing that you know the author for Eat, Pray, Love who uh-huh. does a TED talk about what happens after you have um, your statistical yeah. apex. Yeah, at some point, you know you what? What do you do when you know that it's it's impossible to repeat yeah. something? Yeah, you know, it's not like J.K. Rowling isn't writing. Um, Harry Potter again. Yeah. She's going to try to write something else that's successful, mm-hmm. but it's probably impossible to beat <laughs> no. that. And that's what, and, and that's what, like, because Bonnie Like a Back Row, the, it's, it's, you know, it's crossing, it's getting some crossover love, top 40 and hot AC, and that was never the intention at all. So at this point, it's all just icing on the cake. Like, like we've talked, like, the bar isn't, Huge, massive country song and huge pop song. Like that's the, we're saying. We're saying we're still just after country music. We're country music fans. We love being here in Nashville and being part of the Nashville Nashville community. So the bar, if it's if the next song we put out is only a country hit, that's not a bad thing. Like that's you know that's what we're after anyway. But yeah, by like a back road is definitely surpassing any expectations we ever yeah, dreamed huge. of. Yeah, it's huge. Is crazy. there like an actual effort to go to top 40 radio no, then? No, it's just happening. It's just happening. Sam's not doing anything. It's just happening. I think it's just a catchy song. It's just one of those ones that just kind of has the magic little yeah. sprinkle in it. That I mean, by the time this people. comes out, people will know of it as something that has done a certain run yeah. or whatever it has. But yeah. when you're in the middle of it, I, we were talking about it in another episode where it, it's almost it's hard to watch charts because some days yeah. you're like, oh, is it? It's number five. It's number six. It's number seven. It's yeah. number six. It's number five. It's number See, I've got. Uh, do you have trouble seven. watching chart? I've gotten comfortable with it over the years. Like I, I've, I have a callus for it. Like I know you win some, you lose some, so I'm okay to to watch it. Like I'm having a a, a good couple months of not really checking it. Gotcha. See, it's it, an addiction. So once I start looking, it's like, ah, don't do it. Just click it off. See, Just it br- like I, I to talk about Cop Car again. That song only went to eight on country radio. It's not a number oh, one wow. song. It died at eight, and uh, it was my first big thing. I was convinced. Everyone told me that's a huge hit. It'll be multi week number one. It's Keith Urban. It's like, yeah. and it died at eight for some weird reason, which I still I now I don't understand. But it it crushed me. Because I was like, man, that's the best thing I've ever written. How am I ever going to get a number one song? If you know, and it's um, so I watched the charts that time, and 
I was crushed and I idolized it and I put all these other things in my life, like, like you know, I put too much in it. And so I learned a lot from it. And coming off of that, I realized that there's only so much you can do. And uh, you should write the song. And like, so now it doesn't bother me to watch songs die at 22 or, you know, you don't want them to. I was like, but it, like, it's okay. And, and uh, uh, but I like that. I like that you looked at Cop Car and you were thinking, man, how am I ever going to be this? So now yeah. that we just talked about body like a background, yeah. you're like, well, yeah, that was my apex, yeah, and it's like still going on. And you're know. like, wait a minute, yeah. hold on, yeah. it hasn't yeah. even reached. Yeah, yeah. you know, Who you knows, don't even know man. what it does. It's all at the end of the day. Like, how lucky are we, dude, that we get to do this and write these songs, and yeah. you know, money's neat, and and uh, but it's I just can't believe we could do it. For, uh, it's I get to sit here and write in a studio at my house. I have my wife and my two kids upstairs. I get to do this. It's it's insane that I get to do this. It's a huge blessing. So I'm gonna we're just gonna I'm gonna name five people, five things. You just tell me the first thing that comes off the top of your head. Okay. All right. Um Keith Urban. Change my life without question. Ashley Gorley. Change my life without question. Sam Hunt. Wow. Okay. Change my life without question. Okay. Uh so oh, sorry for the next one, next person. If they did not change, Carrie my life. Underwood changed my life without question. Ross Goldman <laughs> changing my life without hey! question. There it is. <laughs> I had other people, but I kind of think that that hey, we had to switch it up. All right. So to finish up, um, what's a message you would give for an up and coming writer? Uh, we just kind of talked about it. R- realize that it's fun. Uh, it's it's always fun. Because uh, I've noticed myself as I've climbed, as my dreams have come true, I've forgotten about the fun part of it i've forgotten that it's awesome to hear chords playing and melodies over top of them and and uh when i embrace the fun uh side of it it's it's all it's it's more natural yeah good yeah man well thank you for doing this you know it's fun watching your your career, because both of us really were kind of starting to get cuts the same, same year, yeah. and have gone through this process in a in a very sort of symmetrical way. Yeah, it's weird. I, it's a, a very cool thing. It's to, very weird, man. The first time we wrote, I came in. I had seen a. I'm just going to tell you where it came from. I, I was on, you know, Broadway, mm-hmm. walking around just being a tourist because I think it was maybe my first time in Nashville writing. Gotcha. So you you're know, doing the whole thing, like, gonna go yeah, see the sites and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a there was a, a a bar called the Rock Bottom or whatever. And I was like, you know, I couldn't afford really to even buy myself food out here enough. Like I could barely. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it'd be cool to do something where it's like, you know, I always think there's something cool about that blue collar. Yeah. Party. You know, and we've both written that a, a couple times in our professional careers sure. as we've gone. But the idea of like being like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I, I could like rock, rock bottom pretty well. It's a good title. Like, it, there's nothing wrong. I mean, we wrote a fun yeah. song, I guess. I don't know. That's true. It's just fun. It's fun to see, like, yeah. you know, this is us writing a song in a room, hoping that we could get cuts. And then to see where we are now is really exciting. And so. you know, Adam, the guy we wrote with that day, he's had multiple hits himself. Like, he's, I mean, he and I, Wrote Hell of a Night together, and like he's insane. All, hits, he's yeah. You know, I love a, it. It's great that it's all happened. It's very much a blessing. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you, man. It's fun to share this with you. Thank you. And uh, let's write a song now. Let's do it. Okay.
If you missed the 51st annual CMA Awards this week on ABC, you can check out the winners and highlights of your favorite artists, including Garth Brooks, Carrie Underwood, Luke Bryan, and many more by visiting cmaawards.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. On next week's episode, we sit down with Sir Nolan Lambrosa. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.